0: Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nellie Galan. Let's get started. I am so happy to speak to my dear friend, Arthur Smith, who just wrote a phenomenal book called Reach Hard Lessons and Learn Truths from a Lifetime in Television. You know, everybody asks me, Arthur, isn't the TV industry and the entertainment industry treacherous and I say, yeah it is it's horrible and you know we've met not a lot of not so nice people but I'm blessed to and I tell everybody my best experience of my life in television was with Arthur Smith and you and I I feel like it's Indian matchmaker of career we were match made together to work together and people don't know that a lot of times in television people get matched together and sometimes it goes very bad and in my case it went very well, because I have such respect for Arthur. He is a massive, incredible producer, but also has also run TV networks like I have. And we have a very similar background. And he's also an immigrant from Canada. Um, But you know, I think we have to start with how we met Arthur, because it really was one of the magical experiences of my life to work with you. So I'm just thrilled to be here with you and always proud of you and just Always love everything
1: you do. Well, Nelly, the the feeling is mutual. Yeah, I was coming off of a, a show with Fox called Paradise Hotel, which was a big hit in its time. And Mike Darnell, who was the executive at Fox, said, "There's something in development that we love, and we're working with Nelly Gallon and it's called The Swan." And he said, "Go over and meet Nelly." And oh my God, it you know it was love at first sight. I it mean, was, our first it meeting. Was and we were both a bundle of energy and um uh, well, i couldn't match nellie's energy nobody can match nellie's energy that's not
0: true you're pretty energetic but, but you know what a- arthur i had an epiphany reading your book about why you and i got along so well cuz i i love that your book is a love letter to your parents to mm. goldie and saul which we're going to get into and also i love the way you talk about your wife wendy and how mm. you you know i really think You know, everything, you know, now that, as you know, I went back to school and I got a doctorate in psychology and really everything goes back to your parents. And I think that you had, that you and I, when you talk about your parents and you talk about Wendy and how you and Wendy had a moral compass that was exact, maybe you're different people, but you, and I think you and I had a moral compass that was exact. I feel like I was your work wife for those, that period of time. And that's why I think we hit it off right away.
1: Yes. Well, you know, my dad always said that there's, there's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And there's never the right time to do the wrong thing. And, and I believe in that. And I also believe, you know, my book is called Reach. And, and I I believe it's much easier to reach when you're reaching from a strong foundation. And that foundation Mm -hmm. was my parents. And I know. I know, you know, I, I use the analogy, if you're standing on a, a solid table and you have to change a light bulb, it's a lot easier to change the light bulb than when you're standing on a table that's wobbly. So I was blessed. I was mm-hmm. blessed with parents. I had a mother who was my coach and I had a father who, a father who was my role model. Um, and I, I, you know, the greatest compliment that I could ever get is when somebody tells me they remi- that, that I sound like my dad or I, they remind me of my dad and that's the greatest compliment. And I'll never be as good as him. I just can't. It's, he's the most—he's the most grateful man uh, ever. And that's the thing I learned most about him is—is is gratitude. I, I work at it. It's—it's. It's, I'm always a work in progress, like we all are. But you know, Nelly is funny. If I would go out for a sandwich with my father at a deli, and, and he'd be eating the same sandwich, the exact same sandwich, for some reason, his sandwich was so much better than mine. Why is that? Why is that? You know, it's, it's because it's 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 because it was him it was because it was you know know. it was his character now when i say that it's much easier to reach when you're reaching from a strong foundation not everybody has great parents and Mm -hmm. there are a lot of successful people but they found a way to find a foundation in some other way and sometimes it's friends and sometimes it's siblings so even if you may not have
0: had the greatest parents. Um, they're still, they're still there's still You have to, to, to find it. You have to find those people yeah. that that bring light into your life. I have to tell you. So let's let's go into your mom and dad and let's go into it. And then we'll go back to the swan and you're in my relationship. But I love that you said your mom was your coach. I feel like I'm my son's coach. And mm-hmm. I love that you appreciate it. Cause I, sometimes I think when you're a mom and you're a coach, you feel like you're being like a nag. But I love how your mom even would say to you, I need to go to this meeting with you. I need to go to this thing with you. And I also love the way she very gently but strongly guided you. Like, I didn't know about you that you had really started acting Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And, you know, the whole time I knew you, I go, who does Arthur look like? Who does Arthur look like? I couldn't figure it out. It was John Travolta. And you kept getting cast as like a young John Travolta at a very young age. But your mother was kind of saying to you, son, son. There's something bigger out there for you. There's something else for you. And I love that you listen and that you, and that you give her such praise in the book. It was just so beautiful.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, she drove me crazy. She did. Um, And, you know, I'm married to a very special woman, Wendy, who had to deal with my, my mom because she was a lot, but my mom, you know, she meant, she meant well. And, and, um and she was going to stay involved. And my mom was, she was brilliant. Uh, you know, if, if, if she had been born in another era, well, she she may have been a Nellie Gallant type. She may have been a CEO because she was just born in the wrong era. And, yeah. and I think a lot of the advice I got from her was like a, a CEO CEO's mentality. So she was very good at guiding me. You know, it, it kind of every time I like when I got my first part in a movie, you know, I you know, the story. It's so crazy. Talk about a reach. I went out to be an extra in a movie. And I ended up getting pulled out of line and I ended up reading for a part and screen tests and I ended up getting a part and I, I had never auditioned for a movie before. And here I was in my first movie role. And, and a similar thing happened the first time I auditioned for a television show, I got a part. And I was like, and my mother was kept, first of all, she kept me grounded because when you're 19 and 20 years old and you're getting these parts, you know, you're, you can't have an expanding head. And yeah. she was very good at saying, Hey, listen, you're fortunate don't count on these things, you know, that type of thing. She always brought me down to earth. I also had two sisters who did a good job of that as well. But the other thing was, is, was that she, um, she always believed there was more for me out there, you know, and so like, I would call her and tell her, hey, ma, I just got a part in a new television show. And she, she would go, that's great, son. But but I think there's more for you out there. And, I, and the first time she said it to me, I was like, what, I'm not doing enough. I mean, like, like, what does that mean? Like, I was kind of Kind of mad that she she had that reaction, but she didn't mean it like that. And I and right. I learned to understand. And I and then there was one point where she said it again. And 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 I can't remember what it was, but I think I got a, a part in a play or something like that. And and she said, No, when I say that, I just think that your your career is not going to be just as a performer. You're going to be doing more. I think it's in your personality that you're going to be leading or doing something else. And she didn't really understand the business. So she didn't like, she wasn't an entertainment man. I grew up in Montreal with no connection to the entertainment business, zero connection. But to you love
0: television. Board. You said like as a kid, you were like a television fanatic.
1: I was, you know, I grew up as the shy, which I know this is gonna be really hard for, for people to believe as I ramble on here. But I grew up as the shyest of shy oh. kids. Like, like my parents worried about me. And something happened to me when I was nine years old and I talk about it in the book and it changed my life.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was a
1: time where I had to reach and and put myself out there and I had no choice. And I learned that when you reach, you find out what you're capable of.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: you reach, you realize the difference between a pipe dream and what you haven't dared to try just yet. That's right. And, and,
0: and I love that you and, talk about so, that in the book. You say you talk a lot about like your, you know, the, the fantasies that you have as a young person. And like, you know, oh my God, this is so exciting to be an actor. But then that you also have to look at what are your hard skills. And mm-hmm. you talked a lot about like connecting the dots, like you were always athletic as a kid. And then you got into television at first, like when you first got into the T, te- like, the, the the producing part of it, you got into the sports side of it, which was an area you really knew. And kind of yeah. being open, because I think a lot of kids get stuck. I wanna be this, I wanna be an actor, I wanna be this. That if you love the whole industry, you're open to being, to growing in it. And I think you talk about that a lot in the book, which I loved.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what, every time I start something, I think I'm going to be doing it for a long time until I say, you know what, I want to try something else. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm someone who's always reaching, you know, that's, that's just who I am. Um, I finally found a place, you know, the job that I have now running my own company is the longest job I've ever had. And it is that way, because within the company, I can pretty much do any type of show, sports, entertainment, variety, comedy, whatever and I, I, there's nowhere else for me to go. But it took took a number of stops along the way. When I started at CBC, and I got this break, I was. Well, let's start the with that's a thing.
0: Canadian Broadcasting.
1: Yes. So when I started there, um, which is a crazy story, how I got the job, and 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 you know what? It's funny how ignorance is bliss. If I knew more about how the business worked, it would have never happened, because right. I would have said, "Oh, you don't do this." I literally stalk somebody. Waited for them five hours outside their office until they came out of their office. I probably would get arrested today right, for what I was right. doing. And then I asked for ten minutes of his time, and then it led to ninety minutes, and then it led to a, meet, a bigger meeting. And then eventually, I started producing and directing when I was twenty-two, and I did the Olympics when I was twenty-four, the LA Olympics, et cetera, et cetera. And then I became um, head of the sports division, which was complete lunacy. But when I started at CBC, I said, "Oh, I'm in. This is my this is my career. I'm going to be here for the next." 30 40 years this is it and then when I got to be head of CBC sports I said oh my god this was a job I wanted to retire in and then I just realized you know television is my first love and as a shy kid I will tell you that television kept me company it did yeah it did and and it was it was through sports that I that I that I found myself and then I realized that I liked being out there I liked being the guy with the ball and, you know, with the pressure on and I, you know, and then I, and then from that, that led to acting. And then from acting that led to me, every time I was on set, every time I was on set doing a show, I was so freaking curious about how things were made that I would go into the control room and I would ask the director questions. Mm -hmm. And even when I wasn't shooting, I'd hang out by the director and just ask questions. And, and I, I started to have this fascination with, the whole thing, how it's all done. And I guess mom was right because there, yeah, there was no mom. Was right. there. But yeah. I
0: love also that you tell some really, some really good stories about how you got, like, sometimes you got too big for your britches. Oh, like, yeah. I love the story where you were going to CBS in New yes. York yes. and the, the, your boss's wife was the airline stewardess oh, and caught God. you going on an interview. And then you go to CBS and the guy kind of blew you off. Tell that story.
1: Well, you know, I, I I was 25 years old. I was coming off the LA Olympics. Yes, my head was swelling. And I said, you know, you know what, I can do anything. And I said, you know, the next thing for me is going to CBS in New York. And I know there's a guy um, who's who's relatively young. I wasn't relatively young. I was young. But, but anyhow, um, and I, I managed to get a meeting with him. It was Canada Day. So I figured maybe this is the gift. It's can- July 1st is Canada Day. And I flew to New York and I get on the plane. And Nellie just pointed out the stewardess was my boss's wife i mean of all the possible flights and and she she says to me oh hi arthur you're going to new york i said oh yeah and 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 you brought some tapes We got a oh, bag there. full of tapes because uh, back then we used to bring
0: our tapes
1: yes was, and so i said yeah yeah uh, i'm gonna be showing it to some friends of mine and i don't know i don't i was like oh god She's, there's no way she believes this. She knows I'm going to CBS because everybody knew I was ambitious, and it, it, you know. So anyway, I go to the meeting. I have the meeting with this guy Terry O'Neill. I'll never forget him. And and you know, we're doing the interview, and I thought the meeting went really well. And and he said, "Listen, I don't have any openings now, but I'll I'll be in touch if anything." And I I get to the elevator, and then I realize I have the bag of tapes. I have the bag of tapes with me, and I go. I never left the tapes. So I said, "You know what? I'll just go back into his office. I'll just bring the tapes back." And I go back to his office. And He's not there, so I said, okay, I'll just leave the tapes on, on the desk. And I, I put the tapes on the desk and I'm looking around to write a note. And then I see my resume in the garbage, in the trash. Like the worst. It was it was like I was like the worst feeling. So me being me, I took the friggin' resume out of the garbage, garbage. I put it back on his desk, and I write this note. Nice meeting you, Terry. And and I went, What a jerk. But you know what? I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready.
0: And I think it's important for also young people to hear that because not not everything goes well. I mean, not to go backwards, but you also on a movie set, they, to- they told you, could you ride a motorcycle? Could you yeah. Like in other words, we all BS and say, we can do things before we can do it. And then you get caught sometimes. I yeah. wanna talk about your Dick Clark story. So I don't know if everybody listening knows who Dick Clark is, but Dick Clark is the biggest icon of our business who was a, a, I mean, I also have great stories with Dick Clark. He was a wonderful, incredible man who owned TV pretty much. And, you know, everybody knows him from Dick Clark's New Year's Eve. You got a meeting with Dick Clark. Tell what happened with your mother and everything.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's funny, but you know, how um, the CB, the CBS throwing in the garbage thing, you know, when something like that happens to you, Yes, I was upset and yes, I was depressed. But sometimes it takes a year or two to figure out why it happened to you. Right. And clearly, had had I had that had I got the job at CBS, I would have never become head of CBC sports. I would have never moved to LA. I would have never met Dick Clark and all these wonderful things. I did two more Olympic Games after that. So, but at the time it was so. So when I become head of CBC sports, I start getting that feeling like I need to do something else. And I was so fortunate to have this career in sports and pack it in in such a short amount of time that I started thinking about what else is out there for me. And I thought about who who do I admire? And and I always had my eye on Dick Clark. And Dick Clark was an amazing on-camera host, but he was also an amazing entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And and I and I said, "Geez, I got to reach out to him." And it's funny, I only wrote one letter. <laughs> I didn't write letters to Aaron Spelling and and this person and that person. I wrote one letter. I, be- I believe that, you know, sometimes when you narrow your focus, you have a focus. better chance of hitting you better chance of hitting the target. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in sending out a hundred resumes. I mm-hmm. don't. I, I, I tell kids, don't do that. Mm-mm. Pick the place you want to work and do your research keep and get keep in there. Going. Yeah. So, once again, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know how LA worked. I didn't certainly didn't know how to get to Dick Clark. So I wrote him a letter. I wrote him a letter. I think it was a pretty good letter because he wrote me a letter back and he said, I want to meet with you. And, and that was it. I told them of what happened to me at CBC and everything else like that. Anyhow, I go to meet with Dick and I, t- I call my mom because <laughs> I called her the, anytime something good or bad happened to me, I called her. And she said, I'm coming with, <laughs> like that. And I said, um, uh, okay. And I said, well, I, you know, I'm in Toronto. She lives in Montreal. She says, I'll fly to Toronto, we'll fly together. We're gonna go and whatever. And I said, okay. And and you know it was like here I was Nellie I was the head of CBC Sports I had I don't know seven hundred people who worked for me I was head of an Olympic delegation I was a, and my mommy was coming with me to L A so so whatever you know and by the way it wasn't weird it wasn't weird and and you know what and I wasn't embarrassed by it and I'm not even embarrassed to tell the story because it's if a great you knew story her, you know it was so she came so she came with me. To LA, And I had this meeting with Dick Clark and it was like at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I said, hey, mom, listen, enjoy LA. I appreciate you coming with me. Go to Beverly Hills, go to Century City, go to Santa Monica, do whatever you want. I will be back in a few hours. She goes, no, 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 I cannot. I cannot be having a good time with you meeting with Dick Clark and whatever. And I said, I understand. I understand. Yes. Yes, mom. I understand there's a hotel nearby. And do you just put me at the hotel? and I will wait for you. It's a Sheridan Universal. You you go to Burbank, all the way to the Sheridan Universal. And and I said, well, what are you going to do? She goes, I'll just sit here. And I said, okay. So I go and have my meeting with Dick Clark. I'll I'll come back to the meeting with Dick Clark in a second. But after the meeting with Dick Clark, I go back there, and she's sitting in the same spot. And I go, what have you been doing? I've been gone for three hours. She says, I've been holding my Jewish star. I've been waiting for you. I've been praying. How did it go? I said, Mom, what, well, she goes, oh, okay. I, I bring you good luck, right? I said, yes, you bring me good luck. So how could you not love somebody like that? Come of on. Of course. I mean, she, she was special. She was special. But Nellie, I was her favorite. I was. I really was her favorite. I, oh, just, you I just, you know, I have two sisters that I'm sorry. I mean, what but-
0: what, you, what everybody doesn't know about you is, I think this is your success. You're surrounded by women that love you. You have oh. your two sisters, your mother, your wife, and your two daughters. You have a lot of I... women, and then you work with a lot of women in, in television. I mean, what can I tell you? You're very blessed.
1: Well, you know what I'm. You, you know, I'm an emotional mushball, you know. And the way I every show that we do, you know, American Ninja Warrior and and all the other stuff, and all the Olympic games, and all the things that I do, and even when we did the Swan, right. It's all about heart. It's all about television that makes you feel something. That's the that's only right. TV I want to do. That's, that's the right. only, and maybe that's because I was brought up by women and had women around me, and and you know, two older sisters, two daughters, um, and and I think that's, uh, yeah, it's just the way it's just the way I think. I'm super sensitive, <laughs> um, and and sensitive the way I am, and also sensitive about the way you know for other people. So it's it's a blessing and it's a curse sometimes because I'm hard I'm hard on myself also. But I think
0: the whole just going putting the dots together, being an actor in the beginning, which I didn't know until I read your book, helps you because you've worked with so many celebrities. Like you talk in the book about working with The Rock and working with Marlon Brando and like, you know, all the celebrities you've had to handle with all the shows, which we know is not easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did how did that and and also Dick Clark and all the celebrities you worked with through that? um, How do you deal with all that? And I know because I've worked well, with you. You're very even keeled, though you are.
1: Well, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. It's like you know what it what you know when the actors you know they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. They're putting themselves out there, you know. And and in today's world, they're even more vulnerable because every any wrong move can kill your career. So I I respect that and I appreciate that. So I I protect them and I try to be very even. You know, I work with Gordon Ramsay. And, you know, right from the very beginning, Gordon Ramsay wasn't, you know, he wasn't sure about me because we started having a conversation in our first meeting. And in Gordon's charming way, he says, you know, absolutely nothing about food. Now, there was a few F-bombs inserted in there. I'm leaving, you know, and I said, no, but I know a lot about making television. And then and then he gave me a high five. Yeah. And then I said to him, I said, listen, everything that we're going to do in this show is going to be purposeful. Everything is about, you tell me what are the qualities that you're looking for in a great chef. I will create the showmanship around it. Yeah. I will I will understand your world. And and eventually, you know, I became a foodie. I wasn't a foodie then, but I became a foodie and I learned a lot, but I've held true, true to the promise. And, you know, we're in our 22nd season of the show. And we all know what a big star Gordon Ramsay. When, when we did Hell's Kitchen in 2004, after I did the Swan, <laughs> that was my run. It was Paradise Hotel, the Swan. And because of the success of the Swan and because of the success of Paradise Hotel, Fox called me again and said, hey, watch this tape of a chef. And I went, a food show on network television? I guess that's never going to work. I said, there's never been a successful food show on network television. Now, at the time, to- remember, this is 2004. Food is in a much different place now in America as it was in 2004. We, 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 we've we've evolved as a nation in terms of what we eat and everything else like that. And no one knew who Gordon Ramsay was. He was a very famous Michelin star chef in the UK, but no one knew who he was in America. And and I and I said okay I'll watch the tape and I I watched the tape and Gordon was amazing and I hated the show I had thought the show was nothing but I liked the title of the show Hell's Kitchen and I went to Fox and I told them about this idea of a competition show and we're going to build a restaurant and two kitchens and eighty cameras and you know
0: they went I had
1: a very supportive executive and your mutual friend Mike Darnell who mm-hmm. said I I get it and and you know the rest is the rest well is, I so. think I
0: think there's yeah. a there's another story there in Fox that's important to tell for young people you first went to Fox because they called you before you did any of these shows they called you because of your sports background because they yeah. were starting Fox sports yeah and and you went in there and you helped them build Fox sports yeah. and I think yeah. that I think where you and I have had a similar and I think people need to hear this everybody wants to be an entrepreneur now but they don't realize like, you first have to work for other people and learn how to do it for other people yeah. on their dime. And then make sure you're so good that when you leave, like when you left Fox, they gave you shows. They gave you your first shows. Yeah. You, and that's yeah. in today's world, that's called supplier diversity. But what it is, is that you don't want to leave a client. You want them to become your client. The people yes. you work for, you want to turn them into your client and yes. you've done that over and over again. Yes. That's the right business move.
1: Yeah, like I said, I never I never planned every move. I never planned to go back to sports. When I moved to LA to work with Dick Clark, I thought I was going to be with Dick Clark for the next 25, 30 years. It turned out to be four years. and But I learned a lot from Dick and I learned a lot about how to run a business from Dick. A lot of it, I wasn't thinking about starting a company when I was at Dick Clark. I was just thinking about what my next move was going to be. And I was taking all this in. I mean, listen, every job that I had, and, and Nellie, you got it and you kind of alluded to that, but every job that I had, You know, running CBC Sports, being a producer, being an actor, working with Dick Clark, uh, launching Fox Sports Networks all over the place. All those things prepared me for starting my company. Mm -hmm. And and uh, but, you know, like I said, when I moved to L.A., Fox barely existed and I never thought about going back to sports. But, you know, Fox got the rights to football and I was at Universal at the time, which was the shortest job I've ever had um and fox asked me to come back to sports and my first reaction was no i made the transition out of sports, sports and entertainment. And entertainment i don't want to go back because yeah, we all get typecasts and everything like that and i don't believe in typecasting but i believe good people can do anything
0: mm-hmm. and i know
1: you do as well and ellie mm-hmm. you're an example of that because you mm-hmm. can do anything <laughs> so I, I i went to a meeting they just had the rights to football and then i said what do you you know what's your plan and they said oh we're about to take over i said what does that mean well we're going to launch networks we're going to do this and this and this and this and i said well what will i do what will i do and they said well you we we we're, were talking about you being head of programming production and news. And I said, Oh, you're offering me the job. They said, no, not yet. We're interviewing you. Relax. So, <laughs> but eventually they offered me the job. And, uh, and the deal that I made was because I love production so much that I said, I need to be executive producer of stuff. And they go, it's your network, do what you want. And, and, and I was, I was the executive producer of baseball and college football. And I was really happy I had the second chance at sports because the first time I worked in sports, I was so young that I didn't fully appreciate it. And and so, uh, yeah, it was amazing. We launched 22 Sports Networks. So it was it was kind of
0: crazy. And you also got to do th- the show that you love the most, which was your golf championship oh, show yeah. around the world with your yeah. dad you and get your dad involved. Yeah.
1: While I was at Dick Clark, which was highly unusual for us. For for Dick to do a sporting, she goes, Dick, Dick didn't know anything about sports, nothing. And by the way, Dick didn't have, Dick didn't have a hobby. He certainly didn't play golf. I mean, Dick's hobby was his work and work was his hobby. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. he was all about the work and, and he loved it. So, so um, yeah, while it was, while it, when I moved to California, I started to play golf and fell in love with the game of golf. And I, I came up with this crazy idea of playing one hole at 18 of the greatest courses in America. And, um, And, you know, golf is the only sport where the playing field is different. And you can imagine if you took the 18th at Pebble and you took the Island Green in Florida and you, you created this magical course. And I went to tell Dick the idea and he said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And I said, you don't play golf. And he goes, can we make money? And I go, I think so. And eventually we did it. But what Nelly was talking about was my dad loved to play. My dad was a golfer. And I was telling him about the show. And there was a lot of twists and turns where this show shouldn't have happened. Talk about keep reaching, you know, which I kept doing and kept believing in it. And it took a couple of years to get it going. And I had a whole bunch of issues with the PGA tour who have a lot of issues right now. I'm not going to get into that, but anyhow. um, But the best was my dad was on, came with me on the trip. And uh, my dad got more screen or as much screen time as the golfers, because I made him the head marshal. So he's standing behind the players with the quiet please signs and he's in every shot. And, uh, and my dad, my dad was on entertainment tonight. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, but it was, it was, it was special. It was a special time. And it's, it's, you know, it, it was, it was four days of shooting. It took two years to plan. Um, um, but I wouldn't, I, it was, it was amazing. And the thing was, is, you know, my dad, you know, who passed away in, in, uh, 2017 at 94, you know, the last month of his life, he was in the hospital. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I went up to Montreal and never, and, you know, once I knew he was, I never left. I stayed, I was in Montreal for a, for a month and I was with him every day. Jeez, um, I got to get emotional. I was with him every day. And, you know, there were days that were bad days. And I would say, I would say, dad, do you remember the grade 18? I said, do you remember when we were at Pebble Beach? I remember 7,000 people there and, and big on the private plane and you talking with all the golfers. You remember when you told all your friends that you were going on this and they all saw you on TV and he would light up and he would light up. and um yeah, you know the funny thing about my dad was um, you know a, a story that's not in the book but this is this is typical of my dad. My dad was mm-hmm. extremely funny, like really funny and at, at all times and sometimes not 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 the most appropriate times it just it just could he was a pathological joke man. he just could not stop himself. But the one thing my father, my father was very proud, and and he loved to talk about his son and what his son was doing. So he had this very clever way of getting a stranger engaged in a conversation about his son. This is what he did, okay? He would go up to somebody, waiter, uh, person in an elevator, and he would ask them the following question. Do you watch television? How many people say, no, I don't watch television? (laughs) But he says they watch television. So as soon as they said that, they go, Have you seen American Ninja Warrior? Oh, have you seen Hell's Kitchen? Have you seen the Olympics? Have you seen this? So it was like it was it was quite brilliant actually because he knew how to engage in a conversation. You know, and anyhow, that but that was typical of my dad.
0: Hold on, moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. Okay, so now for the entrepreneurs out there, let's talk about you, you're in all these executive things. You're then at Fox and then you tell Fox you're going to leave. I love that you said your sister Marilyn said yeah. to you, and this was a big moment for you to leave, to leave and start your own company. You know, chase the work that you love, Arthur. You've done enough. You've proven yourself. And we all suffer from that. And she finally said, go do it yourself. Do your own business. And you got them to give you your first deal, or they—I I mean, you were worried that they weren't going to let you out. Yeah. And in fact, in the end, they—they—they they, they gave you your first deal. And I've—I have done the same thing. I've always left a company, and then I leave with a deal. And—and and I don't understand why everybody thinks you just leave and you start a business cold turkey. You don't. Know?
1: Right. Well, it's also the way you leave. You know, right. I'm sure when you were working there. You left on really good terms. You That's made right. sure they were looked after. You did it diplomatically. You made That's sure they right. understood why you were leaving and everything else like that. So I, I had decided I wanted to to leave Fox. I had a long term deal. Starting my own company was the biggest reach of my life. I had a very, very uh, fat deal at, at Fox Sports. They looked after me. Um, I, I could have stayed there forever. And I was willing to take the risk because I wanted to get back to doing all kinds of television. And also at Fox Sports, we were so big that I couldn't get into the control room anymore. I, yes, I was an executive producer, but I wasn't anymore. I really wasn't. I was you just couldn't get your hands dirty. No, and I need to do that. I need to play. So, um, so I went to them and told them I was leaving. And then um, they first had said, well, we're not letting you out. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to a competitor. I want to start my own company. And they went, oh. I said, listen, can you hang around for another six months? And I go, another six months. And they go, Yeah, there's an initiative, there's an initiative that we're launching. We were launching all these local sports casts and we want you to oversee it. And I said, okay, what's another six months? And it was hard because my, you know, time. mentally I was I wanted to go. So I had to put my idea on hold, but it allowed me to think about the company I wanted to start. And so it wasn't a waste of time. And nobody knew. Nobody knew. And you you couldn't tell by the way I was working. And I think that made a big impression on the guys at Fox because the senior guys knew I was leaving, like two or three people knew I was leaving, but they could see I worked harder in those six months or as hard than I did in the other number That's of right. years that I was there. And so when I, when, you know, about a month before I was leaving, they came to me and said, Hey, listen, and I you know, we want to talk to you. And I go, well, no, no, not another six months. And they go, No, 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 no. We want to, we want to order your first show. And uh, it was a show that I had created while I was Fox Sports. It was a, a sports clip show called "You Got to See This." And I said, "How many? How, how, how many episodes?" And they said, "They said 65." And I went, "Oh, great!" And uh, and I got my company off off and, off and running. And we went on to do 200 episodes, and it was it was a nice base to build upon because we got a building, we got edit suites, we had a company, and it allowed me some runway to develop and and start selling uh, selling other shows. So. You know, how you leave, very important.
0: And let's talk about that too, because I think sometimes when people see, you know, uh, the business, they don't understand really the financials of the business or being an entrepreneur in the business. And and also I think, you know, you see only very glamorous things like fictional shows. You don't really see, you, I mean, you were at the forefront of nonfiction and reality. And I know we don't love calling it reality, but people okay. call it that. But I think we have to talk about the business of what we were all doing because we were in this incredible moment where it costs so much money to make shows that were scripted and Mm -hmm. we, you know, the the financial model of what we did was so much better. And let's talk about the truth. If you had stayed an executive the rest of your life, you wouldn't have made the money you made running your own business in an emerging business within a business that cost less money and made more profit. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean,
1: listen, when I when I left uh, to go start my own company, I'd like to say I had a really had a strategic plan, but I really didn't. I just knew that uh, I believed in myself and I was hoping I would make half the amount of money that I made at Fox Sports. I ended up making a lot more, um, but uh, but I really wanted to get my hands dirty and produce. And at the time, sometimes, you know, listen, I believe we make our good fortune. I believe the more you try, the luckier you get. Because in, when I left in 2000 or when I decided to leave in, in 1999, you know, there wasn't really reality television. There really, you know, Survivor hadn't been on. Uh, maybe Real World was just getting its feet wet. And and so the reality craze just happened basically a year or two after I started my company. And, um, and you know, Hell's Kitchen and The Swan and... Paradise and all these shows that we did, we, you know, it was, you know, you have to be a little bit lucky. Now, I, I believe in myself. I wanted to start a company that was going to be a non-fiction company. You know, I had done award shows. I had done variety shows. I had done shows that if they were in today's world, they would be called reality shows. I did a show called When Stars Were Kids for NBC. I did another show called Caught in the Act. I did the USA Music Challenge. I did Battle of the Bands. I did all these shows, but they weren't called reality television at that time. And reality television now, to me, is really, you know, there's really two genres of reality television. There's the survivor structured reality, which Hell's Kitchen falls into, The Bachelor falls into. And then there's the unstructured reality, which is the real world, which is the Kardashians and Real Housewives. Everything else, the game shows are game shows. American Idol is a variety show, you know. American Ninja Warrior is a sports entertainment show. Yes, they all get lumped into the reality genre. That's why Nelly was referring to my dislike of the word reality television, because I, uh, you know, I, I believe reality television is is really two, two genres or two subgenres. Um, but yeah, I got lucky. I really did. I I, you know, you gotta be good to be lucky, lucky to be good beyond, you know, getting my resume thrown out in the garbage at CBS. There's other failures, there's other things that didn't happen to me. And if you're going to Try. You're going to fail a lot. If you're going to be successful, you're going to fail. So you got to just keep going. And I, I, I think the worst place to be is in neutral. I think that's the worst. You know, when young people talk to me and they say, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do. I know what I, I just say, guess, just freaking guess, just go, because you're not doing anything right now. And listen, I, I thought I was going to be an actor. I, I, Then I was a sports producer. Then I was head of a sports division. I said, oh, I'm going to be an executive. No, 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 no. I'm going to LA. And so I kept changing. And it's okay to change. And it's okay to evolve. But the truth of the matter is, everything that ever happened to me led me to to where I am today. So none of it's a waste of time. And every failure is a redirect. It's an adjustment. And listen, it's not easy when you're going through disappointment and stuff like that. And that's, and, and that, that to me is one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book. Cause I wanted to get the message out there because I've been doing this for over 40 years and I've, I've lived it. And, you know, the, this book to me is a chapter in my life when I just want to, you know, pay it forward. And, and, you know, and all the proceeds from, you know, my proceeds from the book are going to the reach foundation. The reach foundation is something I, Set up as soon as I got my advance from the publisher, I threw it into the foundation. And basically, the foundation gives money to uh half a dozen charities, all who lift people up in some way so they can reach in their own life. And and uh I realized I get so much pleasure out of mentoring and 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 I and I had so much fun writing the book, to be honest with you. It was never work. You know, it's funny, Nelly. I, I had been subconsciously writing the book for five years in my head. I made a resolution, I actually wrote it in my phone in 2014, that I was going to write a book. And then I got busy, and then I didn't. And then there was one rainy weekend. I sat down, and I was in in this office where I am right now, this home office, and I started to write. And it was a Saturday morning, and I started to write, and I couldn't stop writing. I slept two hours, Saturday night into Sunday night. I slept in this room. I did not leave the room. And just to paint a picture of this, I I came out of, you know, you know the movie Back to the Future? Yeah. And you you know, Christopher Lloyd? Yeah. That's what I look like. That's what I looked like. I looked you couldn't like couldn't look like Roy. Christopher Lloyd if you tried, dude. I know, but the point was, my hair was standing up. I was unshaven, and Wendy thought I was out. Wendy, my wife, she thought I was out of my mind, and she goes, "What? What? What have you been doing?" I said, "I, I just wrote eighty-five pages." She goes, "Of what?" And I go, "Let me read it to you." And she goes, "What is this?" I go, "I think it's a book." And she goes, "It's good." And I said, "Is it really good?" So anyhow, and then and then I and then it took me another few months. It, it hardly took me any time to write the book because it was just building inside of me it was just building inside of me and i i and i had this you know this mission about the power of reach and 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 that's what i want to get out there
0: one last question cuz it's important is how about the business today it's so yeah. changed with the streamers you're in the middle of a strike which is good for people like us but um i mean it's a different place and the money's different and everything is yeah. different what? How would you categorize what's going on right now?
1: Well, I mean, on the plus side, <laughs> the uh, it's. I mean, it's the golden age of content. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's television is so much better than the movies, and we're seeing such unbelievable content in limited series. And you know, there was a time, you know, there's, a, there was a time in years past, certainly in the 80s, the 90s, and even the early 2000s where sometimes something was in and something was out, like game shows were in, documentaries are in, documentaries. now everything's in, everything's in. And, and there's just so many places to place your programming and that's amazing. So that's the good news. You know, The hard part is that it's harder to have the big, massive primetime hit. You know, I don't know if there's going to be another show like Hell's Kitchen that runs for 22 seasons. I think that's going to be highly unlikely. I just don't don't see it. And streamers, as we know, you know, a a long running show on a streamer is three or four years. You know, it's five is really unusual because Mm -hmm. once they have you on their platform, they they they've kind of got the heat from your show and then it lives there forever. They don't necessarily need to do 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's it's changed. And, you know, we you know, we we dance to the music that's playing. Right. So when it changes, we change and we evolve and we find different ways to make money and we find different ways to evolve ourselves and, and 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 the big thing about, you know, being a successful producer entrepreneur is is really understanding the needs of your buyer. It's like any it's like any business. Right. You just have to understand when we pitch a show to Netflix, we know that it has to have a story arc. We know that it has to have something that hooks you from episode to episode because Netflix, the whole thing about being a success on Netflix is completion. It's right. not It's not about, oh, I brought, you know, I got this amount of people to, to, to watch my show. It's about how many people completed watching the show. That's right. the number that they're focused on. So we have to make sure that whatever we're doing has to have real hook from one episode hooks. to another. To yeah. Another. Right. When we're doing a broadcast network television show, because it's so hard to get a big number on un- broadcast, we have to have something so good and so broad and so compelling that people will wait a week for it to come back and that's 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 another challenge so everybody has their own own thing and and um and i think i think like i said it's 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 really knowing your customer in any business and you just continue to evolve and yeah, i hope they solve this writer strike soon you know yes um being an Especially un- in the in the producer, middle of ai
0: coming out it's not a good idea Yeah,
1: I mean, I just, uh, you know what, you know, listen, I'm sure there are people who do what we do who might say, oh, it's great. I'm going to get more work out of it. But I'll tell you what, you may get another show now, but you'll get one less show later. (laughs) So, like, what's the difference? And listen, I, I, I just don't like the lack of harmony in the community. I think it's bad. I don't like all the people out of work and the impact that, you know, that it's having. And, and I, and, but you know what? I feel for the writers. I really do. I'm a member of the Writers Guild. So, I, but I, but I feel for the writers because the industry has changed so much that it's hurt the, the ability for writers to make money. Smaller episode orders on Netflix, six episodes, eight episodes. Remember when everything was 22 episodes mm-hmm. and, and the lack of back end because when you work with a global streamer, they it's own global rights. It's,
0: it's very difficult. Time.
1: Well, I also understand that the big who studios they're under tremendous financial pressure right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're just the, the, ways that they make, make income. So I think there's, there's, there's an answer here, you know, and it's going to be a compromise like all of these negotiations are. I hope it gets done really soon. I don't I don't Okay. One last on
0: thing. Way. Cause we have, I want to end on you and me working together on the Swan when <laughs> we did the Swan, it was yes. a scandal. Yes. And I don't know if you remember that the day, two days before the Swan came out, Mike Darnell, our mutual friend came in and did a re-edit that was more scandalous. And I was crying and he said, are you crazy? You've got a hit on your hands. And it's, it, 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 and he, he was right. But yeah. now so much time has passed. And how do you feel about today? Everything is politically correct. I don't know. Is that leaving? Are, can we come back and do shows that are scandalous or is everything have to be politically correct? How do you feel about that?
1: Well, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, Um, you know, I'm even scared to talk about it because (laughs) you you never know what you're going to step into. Yeah, But um, there is such a sensitivity right now that it, that it is a little bit overbearing and it does affect your creative process. I I, I still think there's opportunities to get out there a little bit and put yourself out on a limb, but you gotta, you gotta be careful. Yeah. I gotta be careful. I think, listen, if you're going to take it, if you're going to take a chance and do something a little risque, I, I, I know this sounds oversimplified but it just needs to be balanced. If it's balanced you probably can get away with it. If that makes any sense.
0: Well, I yeah. am just so thrilled Arthur to see you and to talk to you again. Yeah. I'm such a fan of yours and I have so much respect for you and I'm just thrilled that this book is available for anybody that is even interested in this business. You give them an incredible playbook of mm-hmm. how to think not in a in a linear way but in a th- th- that the puzzle of your life Will reveal itself slowly. That's what I got out of it, and that uh, you just have to hang in there and stay the course, and everything works out.
1: Everything works out. Everything's meant to be. The more you try, the luckier you get. Nelly, you're amazing. I look for. I I, I was so looking forward, and I took. A, I know it took a minute for us to get this set up, but I, know. I, I, I. It's it's amazing to see you. It's amazing to talk to you. I have so many fond memories. I know. I mean, um, yeah. You're you're you're. Spe- and I, 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 th- I thank you for allowing me to,
0: no, to ramble
1: you, on right. like, like I did. No, I por ran. favor.
0: I love every minute of it. Thank you so much. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.